Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. So glad that you're joining me. Uh, I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. Some very cool 316 verses, but we're located off of Highway 316. So if you're local, I encourage you to check us out. You can learn more about the church from our website, which is calvary316.tv. The purpose of the show is to try to deconstruct negative perceptions that the world has of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and a genuine way. We are just a few weeks away from Easter, Easter Sunday. You know, one of my pet peeves as it pertains to Easter really boils down to the reality um, that most pastors don't understand their audience. We live in in an evolving, very rapidly changing world, culture. And so often, pastors go into Easter Sunday. Your standard Easter message discusses the implications of the resurrection of Jesus, when in reality, the statistics tell us that most of the audience don't actually believe the resurrection took place. Because of this, I want to start by reading first the historical narrative, the historical account of the resurrection of Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 28 by kind of then expounding upon this entire idea. Let me read you Matthew's account. He says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothes as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. One of the things that I love about Easter is that I finally get to see all of the friends that I haven't seen since Christmas Eve. (laughs) If you... If you're a pastor, you know what I'm saying. So often, it's the same crowd that shows up for Christmas Eve that then disappears only to return again Easter Sunday because those are the two times a year that individual goes to church. Easter, of all the 52 Sundays, it's really made up of a rather uh, diverse crowd that share one similarity. Sunday, aside from the regulars, you you have those... Uh, who attend only a handful of services a year, you'll have a collection of first-timers you know, who are invited by a friend or family member. But there is a general uh, kind of skepticism that exists. You know, according to research conducted by the Barna Group, um, research really done among non-church-going American adults who make up largely Easter Sunday crowds, they discovered that only 46% of non-church-going American adults view the meaning of Easter as even being religious. That's that's an astounding stat. And while this number, you know, is astounding but isn't all that surprising, it, it gets weirder when you actually add churchgoers 
to the stats. You see, when Barna polled non-specified Americans, the number of those who view the, the meaning of Easter as being religious declines four points to 42%. Here's Barna's conclusion. They conclude that while a majority of Americans indicated some type of spiritual uh, connection with Easter, research showed that a minority of adults actually link Easter to the Christian belief in the resurrection of Christ. Like, let's be real. Like, it's hard to reconcile, like, a creepy bunny who hides eggs that children have to run around and find with the Christian religion. As a study that was released a few Aprils ago by the Rasmussen Reports, they were a polling firm, they provided an explanation for why this disconnect might be the case. Of those that they polled, only, 40, only 64% of Americans actually believe Jesus rose from the dead. So there should be no surprise why we don't associate Easter with religion. Now, what makes that number alarming is that the same poll that was conducted in 2012 stated that 77% of Americans believe Jesus rose from the dead. In just two years, like we've seen a 13-point shift decline and the number of Americans who actually do believe that Jesus rose from the dead, which is why on Sundays, Easter Sunday in particular, don't, don't dive into the implications if you're a pastor of the resurrection without first addressing whether or not the resurrection happened and whether or not it can be trusted as a verifiable act of history. And if all this wasn't shocking in and of itself, that same Rasmussen report found that nearly one in five Americans, American Christians, 19% of American Christians not only reject the resurrection of Jesus as being an actual fact of history, but they also reject the resurrection as even being a central tenet of the Christian faith. And that number, that's up 12 percentage points from 2012. That, that's crazy. One in five American Christians not only don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but don't even see that the resurrection of Jesus is really all that important. You know, it would appear that on Easter Sunday, a significant portion of that congregation, whatever church you happen to be in, is actually skeptical that the resurrection ever occurred. And I need to say this kind of unequivocally. If you do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, like if you don't believe that, <laughs> hear me out. You're not a Christian. Like I'm going to say that. Like if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, meaning that he's still dead, we just don't know where, you're not a Christian. Like to this point, please note that every major Christian creed throughout church history has affirmed the resurrection of Jesus to be an essential Christian belief. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Apostles' Creed states this, quote, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose again. The Apostles' Creed. Here, here's the, the Nicene Creed, quote, 
Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. Here's the Westminster Confession of Faith. Quote, The Lord Jesus was crucified and died, was buried, and remained under the power of death, yet saw no corruption. On the third day, he rose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered. The Westminster Confession of Faith. Finally, how about one more? The Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catechism of the Catholic Church stresses the importance of the resurrection as a central tenet of the Christian faith, writing this, quote, The resurrection of Jesus is the crowning truth of our faith in Christ, a faith believed and lived as the central truth by the first Christian community, handed on as the fundamental by tradition, established by the doctrines of the New Testament, and preached as an essential part of the Paschal mystery along with the cross. In 2001, I don't know if anyone saw it. I did because I was very curious about it. Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas. He starred in a movie uh, that was titled The Body. He plays a he plays a, a Catholic priest. But but the movie itself, it, it, it explored, the whole theme of it was that it explored the potential ramifications, you know, what would happen, right? If the if the body of Jesus ended up being discovered. Banderas he plays uh, Father Gutierrez, a Catholic priest who's assigned by the Vatican to go and investigate in Jerusalem uh, another archaeologist who's cl- making a claim that, that they've discovered, she's discovered the body of Jesus. Now, though Father Gutierrez initially sets out to challenge and discredits the claim, as more and more supporting evidence mounts throughout the movie, his faith begins to waver, understandably. There's a point in the movie where he's like no longer able to suppress the truth. So Father Gutierrez comes to this stark realization that the Catholic Church is what he's actually trying to protect and not the Christian faith. Now, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, the bones aren't that of Christ's. But Father Gutierrez decides anyway to resign from the priesthood, as the story goes. And and this is his conclusion. This is kind of the the climax to the end, the, the, the predominant thought. He says, quote, I thought I had lost my faith in Christ, in God, my Savior, my friend. But I didn't. I've lost my faith in serving men who use God to justify their material agendas that's why I now choose to serve God in my own personal way. Now, that's his conclusion if Jesus had actually been stayed dead. That you don't lose your faith in Jesus, you lose your faith in the church. But that's moronic. Like, please understand, at best, this position, which is, which is one shared by 19% of Christians, is intellectually inconsistent. And here's why. Without the resurrection, friend, without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christian faith. If the body of Jesus was discovered in Jerusalem, it's not, well, let's figure out how we can uh, shift, you know, envision and shift it. No, we shut down the church and we all leave. It would be earth, 
earth shaking. It would it would change everything. Theologian and Jesuit priest Gerald O'Collins, he said Christianity without the resurrection is not simply Christianity without its final chapter. It's not Christianity at all. Pastor John MacArthur agrees with this position. He, he writes this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest event in the history of the world. It is so foundational to Christianity that no one who denies it can be a true Christian. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, he actually affirms how vain our Christian faith would be apart from the resurrection of Jesus. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you, some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. That's the truth. Though the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely 100% essential to our Christian faith, I will admit that the claim itself is radical. I mean, we can be honest there, right? That the claim that Jesus died, was laid in a tomb for three days, and then was resurrected to life. That's a radical claim. We're pretty revolutionary, to be honest. I mean, there is a reason that no other religion or moral leader has ever dared make such an assertion. Muhammad never claimed that he would die, and three days later he would be resurrected. Nor did Buddha or Confucius or Joseph Smith. No one else. Like Being skeptical of the resurrection... That's 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 actually reasonable. As Ravi Zacharias put it, what I believe in my heart must make sense in my mind. And so what I want to do with the remainder of today's show is I want to discuss this incredible claim of history and explain to you, the audience, why you can put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, yet alone why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip inspire and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, blueletterbible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as blueletterbible.org. 
Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're discussing the resurrection of Jesus, which, while essential to the Christian faith, and, and make no bones about it, if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, you can't make the claim to be a Christian. Without the resurrection, uh, there is no Christian faith. Like, it is an absolutely essential doctrine. Without Jesus, if Jesus was dead, well, we'll, we'll discuss the implications of that, but just note, what are we doing then, right? That being said, I think it's it's fair to say that while it is an essential doctrine, something, an essential belief, uh, it is radical. Like, there's no religion, no religious leader that would ever dare make such a claim, or, or at least a prediction. And, and yet... While the resurrection of Jesus is the most extreme claim of history, you should note that it's also one of the more reliable. Like, while the Bible concedes the reality that no one actually saw Jesus resurrect from the dead, and I hope you know that, like, the rolling back of the stone did not intend to let Jesus out, but rather to allow humanity to peer in. No one was there when Jesus' dead body came back to life. No one saw it. There was not an eyewitness to that one event. That being said, there is no debate that something did occur historically following Jesus' death that was so gnarly that it changed the course of human history. That's the truth. Like, like first, as a fact of history, please understand that the body of Jesus has always been missing. Like, not only did Jesus' followers, as we read, discover the empty tomb, the ladies find it empty, Peter and John find it empty, like, the, the, the body was not there. It was an empty tomb. But even according to the scriptures, Jesus' most ardent enemies, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, even the Romans, they all conceded the reality that Jesus' body had mysteriously vanished, that it was put in the tomb, the tomb was sealed, and something happened, and it was gone. And note, the disciples had zero opportunity to, to A, steal the body, and secondly, like they lacked any incentive to steal the body and then fabricate a lie they all ended up dying for. Like, as a simple and undisputed fact of human history, Jesus' body has never been recovered. <laughs> when you should know, there's always been incredible incentive to produce a body. Like, like even, even in Jesus' day, all the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, all they had to do to kill Christianity was produce a body. But they couldn't. To this point, uh, an author named William Lane Craig, he correctly reasons that if the tomb were not empty, it would be impossible for a movement founded on the belief in the resurrection to have come into existence in the same city where the man had been publicly executed and buried. So, there's been no body. Secondly, as a fact of history, beginning with these very women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, these women in the garden, and then progressing down throughout the centuries, a massive, incredible number of people from all ethnicities, languages, creeds, walks of life have, have made this claim. 
universally across the globe, there have been people throughout the centuries to make the claim that they have personally encountered a resurrected Jesus. So follow the progression. One, there's never been a body. A body has never been discovered. Put in a tomb, tomb sealed, body gone. No one's debated that. Two, beginning with these women and then throughout human history, we have millions of people who've made the claim that they've personally encountered a resurrected Jesus. (laughs) It's been observed that the issue with Jesus isn't that he was nowhere to be seen. It's that he was seen alive. He was seen dead, and he was seen alive once more. People saw him alive, they saw him crucified, they saw him buried, and then they saw him alive again. The eyewitness support for the resurrected Jesus, understand it's legally, from, a, from just a legal standpoint, it's overwhelming. The eyewitness support, the, the people who, who, with their own eyes, saw a resurrected Jesus. According to Paul, once again, writing in 1 Corinthians 15, he said Jesus was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, that was Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom, Paul says, remain alive until now, but some have died, fallen asleep. Jesus appeared to James, that was his half-brother, then again to all of the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, Jesus also appeared to me also, Paul writing, about his own experience encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now keep in mind, Christianity did not form, it didn't begin in a vacuum. Like every event that fostered the development, the formation, the development of Christianity. Every significant event, it took place, interestingly enough, out in the open, like in the public arena, the public square. After a three-year public ministry, Jesus was crucified where? Privately? No, he was scourged publicly, presented publicly. They said, crucify him, crucified. And then they took him to Golgotha, the place of the skull, to crucify him in a public place. And then not only that, Jesus wasn't buried in in a private tomb, but a public one. One where Joseph of Arimathea actually has to go and get permission from Pontius Pilate to bury him in his own personal tomb. A place that was known, so much so, then the temple guards, uh, the, 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 the scribes and the priests want the temple guards placed to protect it. Public place executed, buried in a public tomb, protected by public guards. All this is public. None of it's private, none of it's in hidden, none of it's in secret. And then upon raising from the dead, Jesus just didn't reveal himself to a few people privately. No, as a matter of fact, if, if you read through the Gospels, Upon his resurrection, Jesus would present himself over a period of 40 days to the public on 10 separate occasions. And a famous debate concerning the resurrection. New Testament scholar Gary Habermas, he closed his argument by saying this. Here's how I look at the evidence for the resurrection. First, did Jesus die on the cross? And second, Did he appear later to people? If you can establish those two things, 
You've made your case. Here's why. Because dead people don't normally do that. It's it's simple, but so true, right? Like even today, even today, one of the most powerful evidences of the resurrection are the rational people. They're not crazy people. The rational people who point to an encounter with the resurrected Jesus as being the singular reason their life has changed for the best. Like, think about the person that brought you to Jesus. Think about the person who gave their life to Christ that you observed. Like, one of the compelling things is, like, how do you explain how their life was transformed? How they went from a life of sin to a life of righteousness? Like, how do you explain that transformation apart from something supernatural, an encounter with a living Jesus? English columnist A.N. Wilson wrote, My belief in the resurrection has come about in large measure because of the lives and examples of people I have known, not the famous, not saints, but friends and relatives who have lived and faced death in light of the resurrection story or in the quiet acceptance that they have a future after they die. You know, Apart from all of this, you know, it's also a fact of history, not just that the body's never been found and that people, not just in the day, but throughout history have claimed to have an encounter with a living Jesus. It's also a fact of history that even skeptics of the resurrection, even skeptics ended up having something occur in their lives so palpable, so real, that it transformed even staunch opponents into proponents overnight. Like, think about it. If the resurrection didn't occur, if there was no resurrection, how in the world do you explain how the disciples go from being pitiful cowards to bold proclaimers in a matter of only a few days. Proclaimers, mind you, that would lay down their lives over a refusal to recant. Like, I'm going to, when we come back, I'm going to return to that thought. But I mean, seriously, think about it. The disciples, they did not expect Jesus to die yet alone rise from the dead three days later. Like they were convinced that Jesus, as they went to Jerusalem, was going to, was going to usher in a kingdom, that they were going to rise up, that they were going to defeat the Romans, that there would be a revolution. Jesus, his crucifixion was not part of their expectation. And when Jesus was arrested, what happened? They scattered. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Pick up that thought here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Pastor Zach has made some pretty bold claims in this first half of the Outlaw Radio Show. He said, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you can't be saved. Now, that is a strong statement, but you'll hear why this is completely true in the second half of today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. It's that time of year again. Easter is right around the corner. 
Pastor Zach is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ today on the Outlaw Radio Show. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're discussing the resurrection of Jesus. If you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, you're not a Christian. And that's okay. It's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to have a measure of doubt. But the key is, is to examine the evidence. And that's what we're doing in today's episode. We're discussing the resurrection as a historical fact by looking at some of the evidence. First and foremost, you always need to keep in mind, there has never been a body discovered. Jesus was, he had a public ministry. He was, he was arrested, publicly tried, publicly executed, placed into a tomb that was known so much so that it was it was given charge by public guards and yet something happened the body vanished the body was gone never to be recovered when there was great incentive by Jesus's detractors to produce a body it would have killed christianity if they had produced a body it would have contradicted all of what the apostles were preaching about the resurrection aside from the fact that there's never been a body discovered the, the other fact of history is that people, beginning with the, the women who went to finish the burial process, beginning with those women, people throughout history have made the claim to have encountered a resurrected Jesus. Not, not just the 511 or so direct eyewitnesses during those 40 days before Jesus' ascension. Those 40 days between the resurrection and ascension where Jesus made at least 10 appearances to individuals from his half-brother who was a skeptic, James, to the disciples, including Peter, to later Thomas. Over 511 direct eyewitnesses. It's an astounding thing, but from that point forward, people throughout history who have made the claim to have encountered a resurrected Jesus and their lives to have been transformed by that. That's a powerful point that can't be overlooked. We, we left off our last block by talking about the reality that people have been transformed by this. So much so that, that even Jesus' biggest enemies, the, the biggest opponents to Christ, something happened to turn them overnight into proponents. The disciples... When Jesus was crucified, they scattered in the garden. When Jesus was arrested, I mean, they ran 12 different directions. Judas went and killed himself. Peter followed back, but he wept. He denied on three occasions. They all scattered. They were all afraid. They thought Jesus was coming to lead a revolution, and then when he was arrested, they all ran with, I guess, the exception of John, who was there uh, at the cross when Jesus was executed. They're Dreams had been dashed. Like they abandoned Jesus. They weren't there for him. They weren't brave. They weren't scheming. They went into hiding. They deserted the faith. As a matter of fact, they became skeptics and doubters like Thomas. And yet, something so substantial, so amazing, so radical took place during the 50 days between Passover and Pentecost, that these men's lives were completely revolutionized and their perspectives transformed. Anglican clerk, uh, cleric John R.W. Stott, he, 
he aptly pointed this out. He wrote, The transformation of the disciples of Jesus is one of the greatest evidences of all for the resurrection. Jewish historian and theologian, uh, he added this. He, said, he wrote, If the defeated and the depressed group of disciples overnight could change into a victorious movement of faith based only on auto-suggestion or self-deception without a fundamental faith experience, like, like the resurrection, then that would be a much greater miracle than the resurrection of Jesus. Like, like think about, aside from just the disciples, James, the half-brother of Jesus, was an absolute doubter, a skeptic, critical. And yet, Jesus appears to him. And it changed, it changed James' life. So much so that he ends up, he ends up becoming the pastor over the church in Jerusalem. They called him old camel knees for the amount of time he'd spend in prayer. He would die for Jesus. Saul of Tarsus, killing Christians, arresting them, throwing them into jail until on Damascus, on the road to Damascus, Saul encountered Jesus and was changed forever, becomes the Apostle Paul. In his book, titled Contemporary Scholarship and the Historical Evidence for the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once again, William Lane Craig, who I mentioned earlier, he reaches this conclusion. He said, he said these three great facts, the, the resurrection appearances, the empty tomb, and the origin of the Christian faith all point to one unavoidable conclusion, the resurrection of Jesus. Today, the rational man can hardly be blamed if he believes that on that first Easter morning, a divine miracle occurred. Now, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, because this event is of such critical importance to our Christian faith, I want you to know, the resurrection of Jesus, there's only one of two logical conclusions you can make. You can either reject it or you can gloriously accept it like it's really kind of an either or proposition like jesus either remains dead or he rose from the dead and he's alive like the empty tomb itself is either emblematic of the greatest con that's ever been devised in human history, or it's evidence of the greatest event of human history. Either you're missing out on the most revolutionary occurrence to have ever taken place on this planet, or your friends who believe in such an event are senile, or at best, they're delusional or misguided. I mean, don't forget, they are claiming to have had an encounter, a life-changing encounter, one that has yielded a continual interaction with the dead man. Either Jesus is alive or he isn't. 
Now, coming to a personal conclusion concerning this all-important topic, you making a decision, whoever you are, wherever you're listening, you making a decision about Jesus and his resurrection is of critical importance. Because here's the deal. Your beliefs either against or for the resurrection of Jesus carry with them significant and radically different implications. Like, like, consider this, please. If Jesus didn't rise on the third day, and has therefore always been dead, the reality, if that's the case, if that's the situation, then Jesus' claim to be God would have either been a lie like a knowing lie, a deception, or it would have been evidence of a psychosis, a lunacy. Like, don't misunderstand. On three separate occasions, Jesus predicted his resurrection. Mark chapter 8, we're told, and Jesus began to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, be killed, and three days later rise again. He spoke this word openly. Mark 9, 31. He taught his disciples. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. After he's killed, he will rise the third day. Mark 10. Behold, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed. Condemn him to death. Deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him, scourge him, spit on him, and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Jesus, on three separate occasions, made it abundantly clear he was going to Jerusalem, would be betrayed, would die, but would rise from the dead three days later. Either that's the evidence that he's God, or it's the evidence he's a liar or a lunatic. So with that thought, we're going to take just a quick break. We'll be back for more here on the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing, hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're discussing the resurrection of Jesus. And the truth is, is Jesus predicted three times what would happen. He prophesied they were going to Jerusalem. He would be betrayed, arrested, crucified, and the third day later would rise from the dead. Meaning that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, He's not worthy of your faith. He's not worthy of your trust. He's either a deceptive liar or he's a looney tune. Like because Jesus intentionally and deliberately placed the validity of everything he said and did, everything he claimed to be, on his physical resurrection, following three days in a tomb, 
please understand, failing to rise from the dead would have, would, would have had tremendous consequences. If Jesus remained dead, think about it, his claim to be God would be delusional. If Jesus remained dead, everything he said would be forever questionable. If Jesus remained dead, his work on the cross would have been painfully inadequate. If Jesus remained dead, friend, hope of life after the grave would still remain implausible. Like it's been said, the resurrection is the proof of Jesus' triumph over sin and death. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of his followers. It's the basis of Christian hope. If Jesus did not rise, we have no assurance of resurrection ourselves. And that's a daunting proposition. Your beliefs concerning the resurrection matter. First theologian B.B. Warfield said, Christ himself deliberately staked his whole claim to the credit of men upon his resurrection. When asked for a sign, what did Jesus point to? He pointed to this sign, his resurrection, as the single and most sufficient credential. In his book, Mere Christianity, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, this is what he wrote. He said, I'm trying here to prevent someone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that, op- that, that option open to us. He did not intend to. It seems to me, Lewis writes obvious that Jesus was either a lunatic, was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Keep in mind, there is no room for a third option concerning the resurrection of Jesus. Either Jesus is dead and everything he did is discredited, or Jesus is alive, and everything he said and did is, is, is validated. In his book, The Reason for God, Belief in the Age of Skepticism, Timothy Keller, this is how he put it. He writes, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And while we've examined over the last hour the implications of what it would look like if indeed Jesus had failed to rise from the dead, I want to just close our time by considering the the implications of the resurrection. Like, friend, think about it, please. Take a minute. If Jesus is alive, you know what that means? You can trust he is who he claimed to be. That Jesus is God incarnate, the King of kings, the Lord of, the Lord of all, the Savior of the world. 
I've heard it said the empty tomb, an enduring symbol of the resurrection, is the ultimate representation of Jesus' claim to being God. You see, if Jesus is alive, you can also trust what he said is true, that in Jesus alone is found salvation and restoration and regeneration and forgiveness and power and strength and love and peace and joy, life today and for all of eternity. Friend, if Jesus rose, John 3.16 is relevant and powerful. For God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If Jesus is alive, the truth is that then you can trust that he'll finish what he came to accomplish because of the resurrection and only because of the resurrection. You can actually today, right now, have confidence in some glorious realities. Because Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin, hell, death, and the grave, you can have confidence that the payment for your sin was accepted by God and that that payment was satisfied. Because Jesus is alive, you can also have confidence that today, right now, no matter what you're going through, you have an advocate in heaven that you have access to your heavenly father. That death is not the end of your story, but it's a glorious final chapter. You see, there's hope and the empty tomb, but more than that, there is blessed assurance. And in conclusion, I just, I want to point something out from the text that we read at the very beginning that is particularly amazing, especially if you're listening and you're a skeptic, right? The angel, this group of women, he declares what? He says, he is risen. You know, just like he said he would. But the angel doesn't just leave the declaration there. As a matter of fact, an invitation is extended, right? The angel then says what? He's risen. Statement of fact. The invitation. Hey, come and see for yourselves the place where the Lord was laying. And you know, I find this to be so encouraging. For after making such an incredible claim, the angel immediately addresses these ladies' natural skepticism. He doesn't rebuke it, doesn't avoid it. Instead, an invitation is presented for these ladies to come for themselves, to see for themselves before they went and told others. And notice what happens next. Once they had shown faith enough to look for themselves at the evidence Jesus responded to their faith by providing the most incredible evidence of all. He personally appeared to them. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them and said, rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. You know, same thing happened with Thomas. Jesus appeared to the 10. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas shows up and they're like, bro, you'll never believe it, man. Jesus was here. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Jesus is alive. And Thomas is like, you guys are nuts. I don't believe it. And then what happened? We're told that Jesus appeared again and there was Thomas. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus rebuke him? Oh, ye of little faith. Does he, does he drop, drop the hammer on him? 
I can't believe you wouldn't have believed me. No, no, no. What does Jesus do? Jesus walks up. Thomas says, you know what I need? You know what I need? I need more than anything. More than anything. I need to touch the wounds. And Jesus walks up and he presents his hands and his feet. And he says, here you go. If this is what you need. Friend, let me say, Jesus is risen. Now, despite whatever inherent hesitations and skepticisms you might have, knowing the implications of of either rejecting or believing this claim, I need to ask, are you willing to come and see? Are you? Yeah, I'm convinced. Anyone willing to accept the invitation to examine the empty tomb for themselves will emerge to discover the resurrected Jesus. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you like what you heard, I want to encourage you to do two things. One, please contact your local station and tell them this. Tell them that you're thankful that they're carrying the Outlaw Radio Show in your community. And then secondly, I want you to go to our website, outlawradio.org. And from the site, you can access our podcast that's available on iTunes and Google Play. You can listen again to this episode. You can send it out through your social media network to people that need to hear it. You can listen to all the previous episodes. Additionally, let me once again encourage you to connect with me via Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. You can send me an an email at info at outlawradio.org. Or you can follow us via facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.